What's up, Wednesday night, peoples? It is another Vibrant with the Vibe Tribe. I'm not shaming you out there, but this is the quietest the live chat has ever been in the first three minutes. I don't know what? what's going on. What y'all are doing? Maybe everyone's on their way to the uh, Bertaria Festival and they can't type and drive. That would be cool. But what's up? We got Topher Gardner in the house. Christopher Gardner, the biocharisma guy himself. Totally Bio crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> How you been, buddy? I've been really good, man. Cutting metal all day. So I'm a, I'm a little bit dustified with, with metal and grit all over my body. He's got grit. God, I literally have grit all over me, like literally grit. So what are you cutting metal for? I'm making all these uh, rocket retorts for biochar for people. Mm. I, I pre-sold, I think as of right now, 20 of them. And it's, uh, it's something that I'm bringing to market. And uh, it's an invention of mine that, God, is going on like 13 years now. And uh, finally bringing it to market. So I'm um, just cutting lots of barrels and getting metal pushed in the right direction. It's very simple invention, um, but uh, it's very effective. I can I can cook up some biomass very fast with it. Very good, man. And I know we've talked about your rocket retort before. We've talked about biochar before, but yo, you're about to kind of bring it to the people in a major way for the first time publicly. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. So what are you going to bring to the Bertaria National Festival here in Missouri that happens to be just right in our neighborhood? Lucky for us. Must be nice. I have the retorts. That's the main thing I'm bringing. I'm also selling biochar. The retorts make biochar. So I have like 300 bags of biochar to sell. And then I have t-shirts. I, I'm branding like my man Chance. <laughs> yeah, you guys can get t-shirts. I never talk about that, but they do exist. So they're talking about your tinfoil hat podcast appearance. Uh, how how did that go? I was like trying to catch up and cram on Topher podcast today, but all I got through was my family thinks I'm crazy in a few episodes of your own show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been pretty much hitting the... I guess I'm doing like close to two shows a week if I was to say average it out. But um, it was it was cool. James Lee, he and I had became friends. He's the Climate Viewer gentleman. He runs climateviewer.com. And I've been a fan of his for like, I'd say a good six or seven years because he had kind of blown the lid on Nexrad radar. And what Nexrad Radar actually is back in the day on a Freeman Fly uh, podcast. And this is back in the day when I had really crappy internet. So I could only listen to things. And like, he has a really good radio voice. And both Freeman Fly and him were like South Carolinian dudes. And I just liked hearing these country bumpkins talk very scientific. And uh, it was just a pleasure to be on, on Tinfoil with, uh, with him because I was able to give different perspectives from what he was saying. He was pretty convinced that um, it was just a, it was a a brush fire gone, gone wrong. And uh, I had a very different view of it. And so um, 
Yeah, that's why I kind of, when you asked me earlier today, that's why I said blue morpho domes, because <laughs> blue is kind of in the consciousness of people now because of uh, the, the the wavelength of blue. And um, yeah, so we we just had a good rapport. We, we instantly kind of took over the show, actually. Uh, Sam, Sammy is even like, hey, I'll just let you guys talk. We're not even here. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But he, he was a good sport. Did he actually do it? Did he actually let you guys talk? He did. Like, he didn't, like, <laughs> he didn't really have much to say. Um, like, he was very impressed with what both he and I were presenting. He the their their triumvirate didn't have much to add to the actual conversation. Um, both both uh, Jim and I were very like I guess just the way we are we're just kind of fire dragons kind of take over, and so um, are you a dragon? I'm a fire dragon. Oh man, it's like it's your time. Yeah, isn't it a yeah. dragon year? Next year. Next year, okay, it's coming. What is it this year? T- is tiger? No, no rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit slash cat. Okay. So there's a few things about that that I want uh that you just brought up that I would like to talk about or clarify. What is the next rad radar that you're talking about? I know what it looks like. It's the uh you know, big white sphere on top of a tower, but like what you know, what is it versus the uh, alleged story about what it's supposed to be. So the mainstream hears next round and they think, oh, next generation radar, Doppler. So when Doppler came onto the scene like 20 years ago, that was like the first time you'd had granularity with a radar picture. You could actually see things in real time. And then you would like, especially where I was in Florida, like we'd watch the feeder bands of hurricanes and stuff. And it'd be like, it was really cool to see such like granularity in this next generation radar, but it comes, I think that at, I don't know how many there are now, but there was about a hundred and four of these towers in the United States, essentially two per two per state. And the way they would did it, they were all kind of equidistant from each other. And uh, Dutch since first brought it back, brought it to my attention that he was with his programming knowledge, he was able to see that the signal that was coming off of these uh, these towers were actually pushing weather fronts. And he was showing because at first when he started showing it, he he thought it was just an artifact that whatever wave was coming off the next rad uh, spheres, and I'm a dome builder, so of course I was like all into these hemispheres and spheres and buckyballs and all this stuff. So that since at first, when I first started watching him, I don't know if that was his original opinion. He was like, huh, I don't know if, if there's some sort of wave or signal or something that's coming off this, but it looks like the weather is truncated here, right where the the end wave of this particular uh, tower was, and he he did some research, and then like within two weeks, he's like, I think they're pushing the weather. And then James Lee was like on Freeman, he was like, these things are made to move the weather, and he ex- he explained the uh, the wave form that came off these things, and then this, 
this was just at the same time that I was studying how the 3G network, what the 3G network did to metal salts. So I now had like a triangulated opinion of like, oh my goodness, this whole weather, the way weather happens in our current day and age is not a natural thing. It's, it's all much pretty much engineered. In the in the next rad towers, at least, like I said, like in 2013, 2014, those were like the state of the art. That was like the stuff that was really pushing weather in all over. The crazy thing is like the range of those next rad towers, mm-hmm. according to the <laughs> internet. You know, whether or not this is the truth or just the public facing information, but it's 230 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a sound. It's basically like a burst of sound. Ener- uh-huh. Like, I mean, all energy waves are sound to a degree. Like it's that means it's also electricity it means it's also kind of a type of light. But it's shooting right. it out in all directions <laughs> for that big of a range. I mean, just beyond the whole weather implications, what is that doing to the frequency environment if the entire country is saturated with this giant repetitive pinging of, you know, what is stated to be a, over 50 decibels of sound at 2,800 millihertz? That doesn't seem, you know, it just doesn't seem wise <laughs> to no. do that to nature and saturate all of nature with those type of waves. No, no, it's essentially putting a standing wave into the earth. And so the first time I saw a next next red ball, my mind went to Wardenclyffe. You know, my my mind went to, you know, Tesla's tower in Wardenclyffe. And I was just like, oh, hey, that's a that's a that's a Tesla type of buckyball. And um, then I just discounted that as just my fans, my fanciful thoughts. And then it ends up being somewhat true <laughs> that it, it is like they use that spheroid shape. And the, the spheres have gotten even more crazy because there are these off uh, like ocean going. I don't know what they call the bo- boats. They essentially look like U.S. Navy destroyers that have these next rad spheres on them. In the next ride sphere, when you see them, they're in the middle of the hole and they're essentially almost a third of the size of the boat. And so could you imagine being on that boat as that thing's transmitting a signal? Like all those poor dudes on that boat, on that metal can, just getting zapped. (laughs) Like that is, I, I do not envy those poor fools at all. What do you think about... Like scalar technology or orgone technology being employed to like, could that mitigate yeah. a next red tower? Like what are the mechanics of how that would make a, an effect on something that is pushing out so much physical force in terms of the energy wave that it's, it's pushing. So, you know, my whole view of existence is consciousness is first you know, and then consciousness begets energy and then energy begets matter. And the, when you ask about scalar, scalar was the physics, scalar is the description of magnitude and magnitude doesn't have a vector of space or time because space and time are in the same thing. So they took out 
Well, when I say they took out, let's just put it this way. To the uninitiated, scalar physics or ether physics was essentially eliminated from the the mat like the mass programming let's say to the underlings a good 60 70 years ago if not earlier and the reason why was cuz in the early 20s and 30s it was pretty much known that if you want an effect it, whatever effect you want you actually engineer the environment to give you that effect it's a, it's a lot like social engineering <laughs> and um the the bulwarks of electricity, the people like Steinmetz and Keeley and and Tesla, they figured out that when you played with a very specific type of bioelectricity, let's just call it static, even though it's not static, static should be called dynamic. Dynamic energy or static energy, it pulses very, very, very fast. And that pulse rate is an oscillation. And if you could create an oscillatory system or a circuit or whatever, for whatever reason, oscillating circuits draw in more energy. Well, what other circuits do we know oscillate and draw in more energy and do more work than they should? The human body, (laughs) our heart, our heart, we were always told was a pump. It was like this thing that yeah, if you have this amount of calories, it it pumps the blood. Well, that's all BS. Your heart is an oscillatory. It it actually it does this. It it like if you were to wring out a washcloth, it collapses on itself like this. And it's it's one big piece of like if it's like a ropa vieja. It's like this long piece of of meat that is it's twisted seven different ways in on itself. So it has four chambers and it collapses in on itself. Well, forever physicists were trying to figure out where is all this energy coming from to actually run this pump? Then they're thinking like it's a pump because you got all this fluid in your body. You have like what, six, seven liters of blood in your body and it's viscous and it's trying to get through these little capillaries and all this stuff. And like where, what pump could have enough energy to do that for 85 years, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you ever just think about your heart? Like, yo, you never stopped this whole time. It's still going. It's crazy. So you gotta give, you gotta thank it. You gotta be like, thanks for keeping <laughs> on ticking. Amazing. So these these materialists, and I think I think like the at the PhD level of like, you know, universities, they all believe their own, you know, BS. But the people that are initiated, they've known forever that your heart is the center of this collapsing toroidal field. And the collapsing toroidal field, that's Mother Nature infusing you with more energy, more energy, more energy. The energy is not coming from calories that you digested in some biochemical reaction that does some of that. But the majority of the energy is from your cardiopulmonary system in this collapsing of the field, this oscillation. Well, all these incredible geniuses knew this at the turn of the 20th century, and they were building circuits that just oscillated. I I call it electrical cavitation because that's the way my mind thinks of it. 
they would electrically cavitate and they would have very specific geometries because as we know, geometry does matter. Shape does matter. They would have these very specific shapes in their circuits and very specific emitters shapes that look like spheres or domes or whatever. And what that would do is they would essentially ping the scalar dimension, the magnitude dimension, and they would resonate that. And because in that dimension, there is no uh, vector, they could essentially use that, the, the, um, God, I hate using the term dimension. They could use the, the layer of magnitude as a storehouse of energy. And wherever they created a resonant frequency of where they wanted the energy to go within our domain, within the 3D domain, the scalar domains everywhere. So that energy would instantly transfer. Okay, let me, see, let me see if I can explain this in my own words to make sure I understand it and maybe other people understand it. So picture this cube is our quote-unquote dimension and when we say dimension it's a dimension of scale it's a certain size frame right, mm-hmm. right. and then and then you go up uh to the quote-unquote scalar dimension we're talking about like a fractal bigger version of this like the russian doll nesting inside of another doll mm-hmm. so from the bigger copy you know any of these smaller copies anywhere they are they're all within this bigger copy. I don't want to copy is not the right word, but like bigger version, bigger fractal. So at any point, you know, you can put something into the bigger fractal from over here and you can take it out of the bigger fractal from over here. Cause you're still within that scale. And there are, they're like, you know, whether it's this one here or that one there, they're mirrors of the big one. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of right? Yes. Yes. And you know, you, you know this directly because you do tuning forks. You do this biofield tuning and you could be in your house. You could deal with somebody a thousand miles away and they're feeling effects from you. Yeah. Um, and I, I route it all through the, the big scale, <laughs> you right. know, like I, I, I call it higher self or I talk to the, the creator or the Supreme being, but the bigger self that all these little selves that we are grow out of like, you know, fingers off of a hand. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we route the whole process through the upstairs. That makes a lot more sense to me now, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, that it's a similar to the scalar energy technology. Right. It really is. And what people have, what has to happen for people is that we were there a hundred years ago, dude, a hundred years ago, they had scalar technology. Just like it was in in open for like it was openly known during World War II, going all the way into the fifties that we could control weather. <laughs> like it literally, the I forget. I think it was the Attorney General for New York sued Bell Laboratories in nineteen. It was either forty seven or fifty seven for not steering a hurricane that hit New York. That's how much confidence people had. You got those receipts on that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not surprised, but I, I would have thought I would have seen it in a Matt Landman's oh, Franken's dude, go, guide. Go, go to James, go to climateviewer.com. Go to James Lee's website. He has the history of weather modification. 
And dude, this has gone back forever. Like, I mean, even let's say the more uh, medicinal, traditional peoples, they knew how to control weather. I think even before devices came into the mix, we're looking at like wizards calling a storm upon an enemy fleet of ships before they can come. I mean, isn't that what John D did? Like he called the Tempest and it sunk the Spanish galleons. I mean, allegedly. And then there's like that whole story of the Greeks in the Persians and the Persians outnumbered them an insane amount. And then as the Persians were rolling in, they just got decimated by a storm worse than decimated. Decimated is like one out of 10 is destroyed, but it was like nine out of 10. (laughs) And no, you know, nobody, you know, points to uh, some wizard or scalar, you know, consciousness based weather modification. But I think that the initiates would be aware that that could be a thing because, you know, regardless of the language you wrap it in, regardless of how you conceive of it, even the, a simple medicine man of a indigenous tribe without these big highfalutin words connects with great spirit can make it rain. It's a thing. Dude. So check this out. I have been geeking so freaking hard on Martin Leakey's work. Have you ever listened to Martin, Martin Leakey? He's He's flat earth British. He's a really goofy guy. He doesn't take. Oh, I've heard of that channel. I didn't know his name. Okay. So he is hard, hard up for the fascies, the Roman fascies. I've been hard up on the Roman fascies ever since I built my first cloud buster. Because the first time I built a cloud buster, it looked like we were joking because I was like, this is a conscious Gatling gun. You know, it looks like a Gatling gun. And for those of you just listening, a Gatling gun is essentially you have all these cylinders that that essentially terminate on a on one plane and on one end, and all those go into another end that is full of organite. And that organite has a a, a terminal that a lead that comes out of that, and then we would put that in in flowing water. So, but it looks like a Gatling gun, <laughs> and so the it works like i've used it like it's it's fucking powerful and what it feels like when you bring your hand over it it feels like static it feels like you're you're being like like little pinpricks right so in martin leakey's work he's like why is it in all of these great pictures of antiquity where they're about to you know caesar's going into a war or somebody else is going into a war or whatever. They're going to the battlefield. They'll show the flags in, in the picture. But the one thing that you always see behind the general is some, some guy carrying a fascies. And then he brought up the fact he's like, you know, all the G8 countries, which essentially are like the top corporate, corporate entities in the world, in all of their flags of state or whatever, flag, their country flags, they all have a fascies in it. You look at the Congress, like when, you know, Sleepy Joe speaks in front of Congress and you look at like the regalia in the back, the flags matter. There's fascies there. Why are there fascies everywhere? And so, you know, my study of the um, organs in these cathedrals, the cathedral organs, most of them would terminate their ground in a body of water underneath like because most of the cathedrals either were built on a spring, near a spring, or near running living water. 
And when people have renovated these things and they found when they were taking out the organs for whatever reason, they were like, why is this massive copper lead going all the way down to the spring? And I'm like, it's orgone. It's not organs. It's orgone. Their whole thing was it, it did produce music, but th- these things were these massive orgone accumulators. And just like the light side, let's say, is on the cathedral side, that you can weaponize that technology. And it was weaponized with the fascies. So what I think they would do is they would go into battle because he brought up all these pictures in the United States of like, The after, you know, the Chicago had burned down and whatever it was, 18, whatever. There were like the people that were in the picture, like of the animated depiction of it. Somebody was holding a fascist. Like, what the fuck are people walking around with fascies all the time for? It's not just like a bundle of sticks, not like a faggot of sticks. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're walking around with a weapon. But we've been de- you just always got to say faggot when you're on my show. <laughs> well, I've been I've been laughing because half of these half of these rocket stoves I sell, you know, I'm joking with bears and I'm like, yeah, it's a it's a faggot stove. I, I burn faggots. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like sticks. You know, I burn lots of like sticks, like lots of fags. You know, I, I burn them. And so we have a bunch of very humorous uh, commercials that we've uh, skits that we'll make into commercials around that. But the whole thing with this is like, there's something with the fascies. There's something because in nature, nature, like with bamboo, when you go over a bamboo stand and they can measure the level of ionization over a bamboo stand, then go over another tree and measure the ionization. When you're over bamboo, there's so much more ionization. The same thing with palm trees. And why is that? A palm tree in bamboo is essentially just a straw. It, it's just a straw that's sticking up. And in nature, those are considered biocondensers. So what that does is it draws in energy and then it shoots it. Well, shit, dude. Why does every good gun have a long cylinder? Because it shoots. It's shooting a projectile. So I think at some point in our in our past and even now we don't we don't see it what is there is that they figured out okay there's a ratio to the diameter to the length to the material that we use and if we hit these with a very specific vibration and tone it's going to produce an infra let's say an infrasound a sound that you can't hear but has an effect right Or it could produce a sound that you could hear and has an effect, whatever it is, but it's producing a vibration in that vibration. If it's as Jorge Mesa, my, my, my blessed musical teacher is teaching me, it could be constructive interference in the, in the form of resonance. You can have resonance that's destructive. Whenever you have resonance, you have extra energy. So just like what I was talking about earlier with Tesla And I was talking about earlier with Keeley and all these guys, they figured out, okay, what occurs is in this domain, when you go into resonance, it pulls energy from the scalar domain here. And if you get one area to resonate with another area in this 3D space, the scalar domain collapses energy into both areas. It's it's absolutely stunning. And I think the people were doing that sonically. I think people were 
I don't think I'm, I'm pretty, even though I don't have direct evidence, all the logical pro- progression leads to that's what they were doing. And I think that's why um, Wilhelm Reich in his, in his um, cloudbuster design, he said, this is most effective when you actually put the end of your lead in water. And I never knew why that I was like, what, you know, I get it current of water. And I was thinking there was something electrical happening. And it wasn't until I did my first ayahuasca journey where I was like, ah, I know why the orgone accumulator worked or the, the uh, cloudbuster worked. The first time I ever did ayahuasca, I was in the forest and I was alone. And I was like, I was so mad because I could swear somebody had turned on a chainsaw. And I was like, who's who's chainsawing my force this like it's six o'clock at night i was so pissed right no and dude like, that's the that's the buzz they you know even um abductees fairy uh fairy folk encounters you know that's like maybe where the idea of the ohm comes from is that that buzz that like electrical hum that well, whenever no, no, you- this was, so I, this is, I've heard that. No, this was very specific and I'll explain it. So it sounded like a, like it sounded mechanical. Oh. It, it was like, it was like something like a chainsaw. Like when you rip the cord on a chainsaw and it's like. But you know what I'm talking about though, right? Whenever you're like flying up the ladder of consciousness and there's like this. sound. I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, this was like, I'm a dude first time doing ayahuasca and I'm in the forest and I'm like, there's nothing spiritual going on to me. It's just like, there's a chainsaw. So I start running through the forest and I get to the water and then I get really close to the water. and And I was like, the water is making that sound. And as soon as I had that, 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 that like total, like, Oh my goodness. And then everything I could kind of feel like the, I could hear the mechanical aspect of nature. The water had this very, it had this pulsation that my body was interpreting as this, like, like that. Right. And then I turned around and like, I was like, I was hearing and feeling the trees and like, like it, the, it really started to hit me hard. And then I was like, ah, there's a pulse rate that's inaudible that the, that the cloud buster could pick up. And each one of those long copper cylinders would transduce that pulse rate into some sort of energy. I think it's light hydrogen. And that's what was causing the effect at a distance. What do you mean like hydrogen? Uh, protium. What do you mean protium? <laughs> so you've, you've heard of deuterium depleted water? No, you're learning me on so many things. It's like a blur. I've got a bunch of things I want to respond to, but we're just flying through the gravy. It's crazy. This is what I'm about to know. Keep going. Flow state. Okay, so deuterium is heavy, heavy wire. So when they would cool all the nuclear rods and stuff like that, um, they would use heavy water to capture the extra radiation. And all that, all that they do is they add a. There's an extra proton within the hydrogen molecule because I always forget what it is. It's like. Um, there's either a neutron or a proton added. So that makes it heavy. It essentially makes it like 
I think, four times the mass of normal hydrogen. So hydrogen is the most prolific, you know, substance that there is in in the materium. I actually think light, how should I say this? Light condenses to hydrogen first. That makes sense. It's number one on the periodic table. I'm drinking my my, uh, AquaCure hydrogen browns gas infused water right now. Awesome. And we're wearing blue. So if the lasers hit us, we're we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, with hydrogen, light hydrogen is called protium. And that's where you actually have, like I said, I forget, there's either a release of an electron or a, a release of a neutron. And so it's very light. And light hydrogen is essentially what I think people are claiming orgone is. And the reason why is, is when, when in clinics, when they make light hydrogen, they have all these extracurricular things that start to happen. People start to trip balls, things kind of like the boundary layer between places, like kind of dissipates, like it's it's amazing stuff. And I think that's what's happening with highly charged water is highly charged water, highly structured water. It's it's releasing uh, light hydrogen. And whenever light hydrogen is in protium is in your system, the first thing it does is it ejects deuterium, which is heavy hydrogen. But your body, if you're to look at your body from an electrochemical perspective, and I'm not I have to restate that, like, I'm always coming from consciousness is first. But if you are to look at the material side of things, the light hydrogen is literally the first, the first burst of electrical energy that your body makes through mitochondria. Sometimes I wonder, though, what if it's like a perfect mirror and there isn't a first in terms of the consciousness and the material? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I tend to lean towards consciousness is first in all things, but I'm kind of getting you off track. But I wonder when well, you're yeah, talking about this. You're the only cat out there. And this is what I respect about you so much. You've said it uh, in a few of your podcasts I've listened to, and I really, really appreciate it because of your Messiah um, ideas. You've you've. Now I can't recall exactly what it is. It's so profound that I actually wanted to talk to you about it. And it is in alignment with this is a mirror. Because like, remember, in the scalar domain, there is no time. (laughs) So it's like when you say like a heaven, eternity, well, eternity means no time, eternal, no time. So to me, that's like a wink, wink, nudge to the to the scalar domain. So the scalar domain, you could consider then like the pleroma, the all things, everything, everywhere, all at once. Exactly. Yes. Which is my new name for ayahuasca. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but when you're talking, okay, you go ahead. I got a question though. I'm I'm holding it. <laughs> well, the the so. I lost it. Go ahead. Shoot. Okay, good. I've, I've got taking the floor. All right. So when you're talking about this light hydrogen, that is maybe the first form of matter in a, you know coming out of light, and then maybe orgone energy is related to that as well, or is that? Do you think that this is the 
I mean, I, I'm get, I'm getting the inference, and I, I think I agree with you that it makes perfect sense that this is like the threshold uh, thing between the material and the mental, right? And if that's the case, is this the is this what happens whenever our bodies, when undergoing stress, begin to leak light? Yes. You had a really good conversation with Sophia Smallstorm pretty recently. I actually didn't finish it yet, but I was digging it so much and getting freaked the hell out because I have solar panels. But <laughs> and now I want to like, you know, do some measuring and testing. But my point being, you know, Eileen McCusick talks about this all the time in her electric body, electric book or electric health book, uh, especially that whenever we become stressed mm-hmm. in in different ways, our bodies leak light. Yes. And is, you know, photons are such a nebulous idea that light can be a particle and a wave and all that. But I do know that there's a particular part of the energy field where the leaking of light or being having our light sucked out of us by, you know, that we have to do it willingly. But there's a, if anybody out there experiences a lot of tension or pain in the area from the base of their neck on the left side and the back, anywhere down into the back of the left shoulder, or even as far down as like the left armpit, you may have a leaky boundary for where your, you know, where you're feeding light to people that are trying to take it and eat it or even put negative energy into you. So my question, I guess, in all this is like this light hydrogen, is this the substance that is leaving our body through our energy field or emitting out of our, out of our cells whenever we are having stress or we're in an artificial light environment or our circadian rhythms are confused or any number of issues that can go on where we're not electrically right. Yeah. And you know, is that the, is that maybe the ultimate culprit for anything and everything health issue wise in the same sense that hydrogen, like in the form of Brown's gas is kind of a panacea that can help with practically anything in your health. Mm-hmm. Is this the first stage of illness, disease, that uh, we're leaking this type of light hydrogen slash orgone energy? Yes. So it's, it's really cool. It's Genesis. So orgone comes from the term orgasm <laughs> from Wilhelm Reich. And well, I also think that that word orgone or like the organ that you were bringing up yeah. in the, uh, I got to put this out there too. I think it might actually have some co- connection to the arga, which is the arc which is also an old word for the earth, the Arga or uh, Noah's Ark. It's the A-R-G-A is kind of the first word you apply to it. But in, in the uh, Hindu tradition, it's symbolized with like a, a lingam yoni symbol combined together that when you like Google the word Arga, you'll probably get a picture of like this type of almost like a, a saucer with a, with a spout and then a linga type obelisk in the middle of it on top of it. So this is like Mount Maru and the ocean that surrounds Mount Maru. There's many different versions of this, but my point in all that is like, this is the concept of the preservation of life through destruction and regeneration cycles in eternity. This Mm -hmm. is the concept of the electricity that comes between the poles of the masculine and feminine. It's the Eros. It's the erotic spark. It's that which, causes life to continue and perpetually exist 
So <laughs> we're calling things orgasmed or orgone or these organs that are maybe distributing uh, healthy electrical information, scalar information to their, their environments and the people in it. I think that the phonetics may be coming out of or in a just one of those synchromistic ways related to this idea of the preserver that is writing the arc or the arga. Orgone, arga, it's in there. I, w- I wouldn't doubt it because I was just discussing this with an alchemist friend of mine today. So a lancet arch dome is a, half of a vesica Pisces and it, it looks like a lancet arch and it looks like a beehive when you finish it, right? And then you have a hemispherical dome. So the hemispherical dome, this gets back to the whole weather modification thing, which is fun. So the hemispherical dome is feminine. The energy, the hemispherical dome will concentrate energy to the convex term. That's a lancet arch right there, what you're showing right now. So the lancet arch, if you see that lancet arch, that's half of a vesica Pisces. If you're to spin that, 360 degrees, that would give you a beehive. So that's actually this year, last year I talked about the phi and five, you know, the golden, the golden ratio and the five. You mean at the Beretaria Festival? Yeah. And this year I'm talking about six, which is carbon. And this is all related to it. So the beehive is the, the carbon, right? So the, the Lancet Arch Dome is male. It emits energy. The the dome that is a hemisphere concentrates energy. When you put them two together, you have an egg. When you put the male and female together, it's an egg. And what Victor Schauberger talked about was what you want to do on your property is you flip that egg over. So the, the lingam, the lancet, the lance, <laughs> the lance is in the ground because the ground is feminine. So the ground is penetrating the earth and then you put the hemisphere above ground and it's a, it's a two third to one third ratio. And so when you brought up. This is so trippy dude, because uh, in the I Ching, there are eight elements, so to, so to speak, or eight, you know, trigrams that form the hexagrams. Uh-huh. But two, two of those trigrams are yin and yang. The yin being three broken lines, so pure openness and then the or pure receptivity and then the yang being three solid lines. So, you know, the active principle, right? And in the in the I Ching, all the trigrams are configured where one is on top of the other. So there's like a dominant and a supportive. And if you put the yang on top. So missionary position, (laughs) you know, the yang is on top of the yin, dominating the yin. The trigram for or the uh, the hexagram for that is called standstill. So it represents like a complete halt, energetic freeze, winter, total stasis. And then if you flip that, though, and according to the I Ching and you have the yin on top and the yang on bottom. So the yang supporting the yin or what you're talking about penetrating down into the earth with the dome on top, then you get uh, peace is actually what that one is called. That hexagram is called peace. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I just think that's interesting because like, like conceptually no one even knows how far back the I Ching goes, but that idea is ancient. And I think even when you're bringing up the fascies, Dylan had an awesome comment about the, uh, fascist not being Roman originally, that it was an Etrurian symbol. 
Oh, and probably. Like I, I just know that I'm, I'm not claiming it's origin. Sure, sure. But I only bring that up because, like, we know that the uh, Etrurians or the, our descendants, descended from whatever the Phoenicians are, whoever this seafaring civilization was that made it all the way to the Americas and all around the world and built all these megalithic structures. So they're not doing that without some pretty advanced uh, knowledge of how the realm works. There's no right. way. And if that's the case, perhaps the fasces as a symbol is one of those fetishes that is uh, fetishes, not CH, not SH, but it's a fetish type of symbol in the sense that the descendants don't really know why the ancestors used it or what it meant. And they just carry it forward as uh, a symbol that they revere or that holds some kind of power to them in an idolatrous way. But maybe the original idea of the fascist was actually more like an orgon cloudbuster type device. And then that, I, you know, that knowledge was lost or occulted, but the, uh, the depiction of it, the symbol of it remained and then continued to be used by those who wanted to be like the ones in power. That right. happens a lot. Definitely. Definitely. I'm digging it. Yes. Polymathing that's hexagram 11 is peace. <laughs> that's right. I think, um, the stand still hexagram. Gosh, I can't remember what number that is. It might be 12. It might be the very next one. Uh, sorry, I can't remember all 64. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the Schauberger was very big with the egg. Like if you wanted to have a very fertile land, you would dig the lancet arch, the male component, the male geometry into the ground. And then above it, you would build a hemisphere. So you would create an egg shape in the ground and he was and we did that <laughs> i've done that and it works like the level of fertility that 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 inseminates into the into your zone in fact i'm gonna have some, a lot of fun i'm actually going to be making biochar eggs because it's just an experiment i have no idea but there's this weird thing like when you make when you make pyrolyzed carbon I want. I should ask you about this because I know you're into smudging and stuff like that. When I pyrolyze carbon, it creates a lot of smoke because you're carbon fixing and you're you're igniting all the volatiles. I swear, if I'm pyrolyzing wood from my farm, after every time I get the negretto phase of the biochar, I can see my farm so much clearer. Like, I don't know what that is. I heard you talking about that with Mark, right? Is on my family thinks I'm crazy. Yeah. I, I'm not going to pretend like I have some super intelligent answer to why that would be. But, you know, the difference between say, okay, so like, what's the purpose of smudging? What is that doing? It is about clearing the energy that is weighing down the space or weighing down you and your consciousness, like in terms of energy hygiene, <laughs> this is why it's just so crazy. You know, this world of, I'm not saying I don't drink coffee. I do, but this world of like stimulants and uppers and downers and all these like pharmaceutical based energy management systems. When the truth, you know, the simplest truth in terms of like what it means, if you feel say like that crash uh, at a certain point in the day, or you wake up and you got enough sleep, but you're just like exhausted all day, really pay attention to those ups and downs in your energy and realize like, 
that's electrical in a sense, or it's, it's spiritual as a consciousness thing. Like I recently saw a friend that I hadn't seen for a long time and the, you know, long, long time, but it's one of my best friends in junior high, high school. And for a long time in my, in my early to mid twenties, super good friends, but we hadn't seen each other for ages or talked much at all for ages. And when we get together, um, you know, I'm really excited and I'm like, I'm going to, I can't wait to like get the whole thumbs up. Like, wow, it's awesome that you're living your dream. You know, I wanted to tell him about my, I wanted to hear what was up with him and give him thumbs up and encouragement too. Right. But you know me, I'm a a Leo rising. I really want that approval. (laughs) So I'm thinking I'm going to get it. I'm going to like, this person is really this friend. He's really important to me. Big character in my life story. I'm going to tell him about how I work for only myself now and I work with clients and I just do my podcast and I just do my tunings and that's all I got to do. What I've, (laughs) I didn't get a single word of approval and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't even sell him on the idea that you could do such a thing as help people's health with tuning forks and intention. You know, instead I was like defending, uh, from, uh, you know, the science, where's the studies type of perspective. (laughs) And it didn't, you know, it didn't register with me right away that there's like the taking on of, and this, this friend, he'd recently even had some like health problems, a cancer scare, like all kinds of really trusting the system and probably taking on a lot of, you know, difficult energies from different parts of his life. I love this dude. He's a great friend of mine, Mm -hmm. but you know, the reality of the situation was that the next day after after this uh, hangout, I was like really dragging ass. It was really dragging ass. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I felt kind of crappy, had no attention span or energy. And then it all of a sudden like clicked at one point that I realized, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm like salty about the lack of feeling approved of from somebody that I cared about their approval. And I actually have some stuck feelings and energy about, you know, unprocessed emotions, if you will, from that interaction that in my typical mental processing of things that I do, and I don't do a lot of feeling, I do more thinking has to do with my, again, astrology, but like a Libra moon, I tend to stay emotionally balanced because it's all routed through the the mind. And I realized though, oh, I've got like unprocessed feelings about it. So I kind of explained that to Jenny, how I was feeling about it, went outside, hit it, you know, put my hands on the tree. Another thing I like to do, especially after heavy duty tunings is, uh, I learned this from Miri and she's probably listening right now, but I just get like a, a handful of salt and I Mm -hmm. put it all in the salt and then throw that to the earth. That works great, but generally just touch the tree. And so I touched the tree after like explaining the feelings that were stuck, like giving them a voice as well. Uh, you know, sent it, asked for the help from the tree and from the earth, did the whole grounding protocol in my own way. There's no right way to do it. You just intend and you ask for what you want and it'll happen for you. And my vibe just was like, whoop. And all of a sudden, even though I felt like I could barely do anything for a good chunk of that day and had no energy, I was like cured. I was absolutely cured. Mm-hmm. And I know all this stuff, but the funny <laughs> funny thing is when you get to the dip state where like your electricity is all fuzzy, it's going back to the smudging thing. Your Mm -hmm. clarity isn't there. You know, you had clarity after this big property wide smudge, you're bringing clarity to the entire region. So you can see farther. That makes sense. Um, 
you know, when you're in the low clarity state, it's like you forget <laughs> how to get out of it. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. Like, that's why I think that the, uh, the ancient philosophers would refer to learning as actually remembering because mm-hmm. it's vibrational. We actually know everything about how this realm works and who we are and what we are. But it's like, do you have the capacity in your battery as you know, in this physical form to hold that vibration level of information. And if you are, if your capacity is jacked up, you know, cause you're filled with a bunch of gunk, so you can't actually hold the charge, then you will forget down to the level of even forgetting why you're here or who you are. Mm-hmm. And you rectify that. And all of a sudden it's like snap your fingers and you remember a bunch of stuff that you've learned before. And it's like, all of a sudden you're having the epiphany again. (laughs) And that's the funny thing about it. So it's almost like important to leave yourself with uh, ritual behaviors or reminders in certain sense of who you are or how to clear that type of gunk. So that even if you get in that state of forgetfulness and loss of clarity, that you can get it back more quickly rather than, you know, sometimes people I've, you know, especially when I was younger would go, weeks or months or even like a year or two and all of a sudden be like i forgot who i was for like two months or for you know a year or you know i lost all that clarity for all that time all i needed was a simple recharge defragmentation you know smudging so to speak it it actually is that simple but that's why the energy hygiene thing is so majorly important and is going to have a much bigger effect on your feeling of vitality than you know a coffee or something so this is this leads back to what you're bringing up with Sophia. Like she says, you know, leaky light. That's like the main. <laughs> How dare you seeking approval is the new squirting in the tissue. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. That's too funny. Yeah, apparently that's my new That's my my bear name now. Squirts, Squirts inside. inside himself. That's right. So I'll own it. I like it. So what? Um, so speaking of squirting inside myself. So the we have to think of light not as photon. Tesla famously said light is like a sound wave moving through the ether. So ether we're in solid ether. So when we see light it's a coaxial circuit. The light is actually, it, it's not like photons are being emitted and hitting our eyeball and they collect in our eyeball. And it's not like photons are being, you know, projected in every different direction. There's a coaxial movement, meaning two axes. So if there's a, a light source, th- there is a circuit that's going between the observer and the light source. And that circuit is in the ether. So when you're leaking light, that's your body saying, I'm semi-permeable. <laughs> I'm, and we actually solidify in this domain, in, in this plane of inertia to not be permeable. <laughs> we actually solidify here to learn boundaries. And so this is nature's feedback loop saying, oh, you're semi-permeable now. You're, you're diminishing. You, you, well, sometimes you grow, <laughs> like you grow in weight, which is a sign of diminishment. But your energetic capacitance is actually diminishing. And so 
this is the feedback loop that we should all know about. And so whether you're being glyphosated to death, whether you have like some succubus or incubus on your back, whatever it is that's causing this extra permeability in your field, like you said, with, with stress, um, like I know the last three years for me were extremely stressful, you know, moving, having a baby, moving twice, like huge moves, traveling internationally every five weeks, like that's a ton of stress. And because I didn't have a process to actually create a loop current with the ground, like you go out to the tree and stuff like that, all the stuff I used to practice all the time, I just like completely forgot about. Exactly. When you get the low clarity zone, you forget all this stuff. It's so interesting. That's why like, you know, shows like this are good for you. So you get the reminder. Hey, that's why I told you, you're the best in the business. That's why I always listen to you. So I'm back in it now. Like I'm back into my practices and like doing all this stuff. It just takes a, it's just, I have to overcome some inertia, if you know what I mean. Um, so the, all this leaky light. So imagine what that is. If, if light isn't a photon, what that essentially is, is you're letting out all this, this very fine villi. And what does everybody who's ever come across an energetic vampire talk about or the energetic uh, succubus? They talk about tentacles. Absolutely. <laughs> tentacles, man. You actually can see it in curly and photography. I've seen the tentacles in real life. Like I've watched a, a sociopath go after multiple people in a room and I could see the energetic tentacles. I've never seen them, seen them, but I have felt them like, uh, oh, my gosh, one of the worst times there is this dude. I was at this like small house party thing. And uh, there is this guy who walked up and wanted to get into the gravy chat I was having with some other people. We're talking about like psychic stuff or consciousness expanding conversation. I don't know exactly what we're talking about. But then he's like, you know, I can I can manipulate energy. I can, (laughs) I can take and give, I can do all this. I can do that. And I was like, cool, man, you're kind of, you kind of got a weird vibe about you. You know, I don't, (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, I don't trust this guy. And then, uh, like later, uh, I don't know, a little while later, I'm engaged with something else. And all of a sudden I feel this dart hit me in the back of the head. Like it literally felt like I've been stabbed in the head or like someone threw a dart and hit me in the back of the head. And I turned and looked in the direction of where I felt it. And there's this dude. He's just like giving me this grin. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that was me. <laughs> so it's, it's a thing, you know, and they can't like, they're not going to actually puncture your field if you don't give them the permission or give them the in. And I didn't have trust for this guy. So I think, you know, I don't think there was any harm done. And even when you have gotten juiced by a psychic vampire, you're not like screwed, but sometimes depending on the length of exposure, how long you're giving it up. And, you know, and it's all about that relationship where they're the bad guy and you're the victim. And you want to, if you keep playing the victimized empath to their evil vampiric, you know, abuser, you will <laughs> suffer. You will, there is like long-term damage to your energy system that happens. And it's, yeah. that, it is, it is actually a heart thing. Um, yeah. A lot of people that are, chronically giving their energy or feeding other people their light do actually end up with like a heart attack as their way out. And they will be fatter than they should be, or they'll have a 
food problem. There's a lot of elements to it, but Mm -hmm. I don't want people to be freaked out that there's like a energy vampire that's just waiting to get them. (laughs) But, you know, if in terms of relationships that you're maintaining, if you feel that way about somebody, you do got to set the boundary because you, you know, if you ever feel like there's this weird phenomenon where we will feel uh, the the currency of victimhood, you know, like I'm the good guy. They're the bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) You got to get out of all of that. We are in the boundary layer and we have to learn boundaries. I, I remember I had this girlfriend and she got a real kick out of me telling her once that I'm like, you could be a witch. Cause I could feel, I could feel how psychically, how psychic she was. And we ended up breaking up and I kept having these dreams at night of like, they were like very visceral, like sex was just about to start. And in my dream, in my dream state, I would have the discipline and I would say no. And it was hard for me to say no, because this was like a very attractive being. And I would say no. And as soon as I would say no, she would be enraged, just rage out of out of like. And I the first two times it happened, I just thought this was just my imagination. Then I get a, an email from her saying, remember that time you said I was a witch or I could be a witch? I've joined a coven. And I was like, oh, she's practicing the hooks. She's practicing the, the succubi. She, like in her coven, they're probably saying reach out to the low hanging fruit, if you know what I mean. And like, and, and draw the energy. And I was like, whoa, because I would always tell my female clients, I was like, just I like, listen, don't, don't just sleep with anyone. Just don't, don't do it. Like have the capacity to hold that for yourself because it's so much harder for a woman to release the, the male hook energy than it is the male as the projective um, and energetic pole to release the feminine. And like every man you're with, that energy gets anchored into you and it will be there for a very long time, especially if you don't have, if, if you don't have clarity of the situation. And so I got to experience the other end of it. I got to experience the, the, emboldened witch energy succubi energy and it was like that being was pissed was so pissed that i rescinded my offer but i i held my ground like i did and it worked and as soon as i had that discipline because it happened three times and the third time i i was like no that energy never came back never once tried never connected on any level. And it was pretty significant. I don't know if this is what was going on, but the other night I'm going to maybe not get the quote exactly right. So if she hears this, maybe she'll put the exact words in the chat, but uh, apparently in my sleep, <laughs> I started to talk and Jennifer heard me clearly say, you keep pushing and pushing, but I'm not going to let you anymore. So you're just going to have to get on out of here or something like that. <laughs> And nice. I'm like just out of the blue, I just clearly said that. So maybe one of these things came to visit. But if you have, yeah. you know, that's the great thing about if you have your boundaries well established consciously, that yeah. means that they're established subconsciously. 
So even though I don't remember what was going on in that dream, whatever it was like, you know, dream me said, no, had the boundary. That's a, that's a real thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We need to keep a a log of uh, sleep talking because it gets Mm -hmm. pretty funny. Have you ever had that phenomenon where you were like held down? Not where I thought that they're actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually though, they're not on top of me. Whenever it would happen, they would be off in a different part of the room. But it was while you were sleeping. It was like that sleep paralysis thing where you like, you couldn't move. Okay. Jennifer's got the quote. I said, well, it's not a surprise to me. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Now leave me alone. <laughs> nice. <laughs> actually, you know what though? Um, when I was with my ex, who my ex-wife, who was uh, definitely, I was playing the role of victimized empath and projecting to her to be the mean psychic vampire type, right? And she was a Scorpio. So (laughs) when I was with her, (laughs) when I was with her is when I had constant sleep paralysis episodes and like a gremlin in the closet or off in the corner doing stuff trying to drain me so i don't know what the relation is to that other than in my conscious mind i wasn't holding a boundary against and i was identifying as being victimized mm-hmm. and uh you know because it gave me an excuse for why my life why i didn't take more responsibility in my life <laughs> give me yeah. an excuse for why i didn't go to the next level in many different ways but uh, at the point where I made the conscious choice to have the boundary, then I stopped having any, I have not had any kind of sleep paralysis or, you know, entity issues, entities in the house or in the space ever since then. Yeah. I have to say ever since I, I gave up being a psychonaut, um, I haven't had any, any boundary issues whatsoever. None. Oh yeah. The, the psychedelics do put holes in your energy field. Absolutely. They perforate you. I think that's why it feels good. I think it's because you're like, you're like a balloon. And whenever you perforate it in some way, it's like, and you're flying around the room as it deflates. I think it's not the end of the, it's definitely not the end of the world to do that. Even, even cannabis puts a, some holes in the aura with a, a lot of use. I think though, that that's like the tolerance if you have a high tolerance, it's because there's nothing, there's no air to let out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like not really doing much. That's kind of my current take on it. Well, it's kind of cool. Like I've been in large ceremonies with over like 40 people and we're all tuned to the ayahuasca. Right. And I've been very aware of that array of bioenergetic array. Like if each one of us is an antenna, if each one of us is our own like little next rad, you know, transmitter receiver type thing. And then we're all have the same substance in us. Then the array, especially because we would usually sit in a big circle, right? In a, in an octagonal building that I built. (laughs) So you talk about geometries within geometries of a biological array. Then that we would act like a massive antenna and there would be people transmitting information to us. Like there would be synthetic things 
transmitting information into that field. There would be biological things. There would be supernatural things. And the array would act just like I think an array would work in like with, you know, big satellite arrays. I think it all or not satellite arrays, but let's say um, the big dish arrays or the next rat arrays. I think it all kind of works very similar. So, well, let's talk about the thing in the title, Blue Morpho Domes. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) You you asked me the question and I just like texted back to you. I was like, okay, blue is on everybody's mind because of these blue umbrellas. You realize it's a blue moon tonight. I did not know. It's a blue moon, full moon, super moon. And somebody said in the chat that the next full blue moon isn't until 2037. So we're really in sync with the, you know, the universal ultra scalar mega fractal because we're talking about the blue. I mean, the moon is kind of like a dome shape when it's full. We're right there when the blue morpho dome, full and blue moon, super moon crushing. Number in college, what are we like traveling in time? 20, what was your number in college? 14. 14. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One, four, five. So yeah. the I was 99. That's so funny. <laughs> That's like an offensive lineman number or something, like a defensive lineman number. I was. I was a tight end and a D end. Look at you, dog. You were a tight end and a D end, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so the the blue the blue stuff is a lot of fun because my wife wants to paint our roof blue, and we have to put a new roof on our old house. And we're talking about our color scheme and all this stuff. And then all this shit happens in Hawaii. And I've I've been on a bunch of podcasts talking to different people about different theories of what could have happened. And I love, I know enough about lasers and holograms to know like, okay, you can have a green laser. You bring green laser over a green wavelength. It doesn't do anything. It's not just a blue laser that does that. And I've now seen enough really good footage of of the burn pattern and all that type of stuff to be like, it wasn't just blue stuff that wasn't burned. Like there was a lot of things out there that wasn't, it wasn't charred. Whatever did the damage wasn't just non-selecting blue things. There are, there are many other things. What made me think of the morpho was that in Costa Rica, we have the blue morpho butterfly. And the the morpho butterfly would always come out like around 7.30 in the morning and fly along the roads because it could sun itself. And uh, the color blue that we were thinking of for our roof was that of like the blue morpho. Yeah, that's such a beautiful blue. In my whole family, we all have blue, very blue eyes. And so that that color, like the darker color, is more like my daughter's my my daughter's eyes. Mackenzie has more of the gray in her eyes, and I have more of the aqua. And so um, we've just been having a lot of fun in all these different podcasts with the blue, like talking about the blue. And uh, of course, I had to bring up domes just because I have domes on the brain. And, and <laughs> so, so there's but, not a blue morpho dome. No. How dare you? <laughs> uh, 
No, I was like ready. I was, I was like, like he hasn't talked about this anywhere. We're about to get the brand new dome design. It has something to do with blue morpho no, butterflies. I, it's gonna protect. So it's a dome that protects you from space lasers and everything. My God. Well, I was tell, I was saying that to Big Bear. I was like, dude, you live by a lot of forest fires, bro. You need something that's thermally can handle it. Because I, I have to say this, like, just as a as somebody that now lives in the United States. These homes are matchsticks. Like these homes can go up like that. Like they're literally, there's so much chemical in them because they're built out of cheap materials that the, all the accelerants that are in these houses, like the amount of paint and primer and all the shit you have to put on this to just to have it last a little while, it's just a matchstick. Like it can just go up like that. Like I, I can't wait to build our place and like be in masonry and be like, ah, like, okay, it's not going to go away. Like if, if they huff and they puff, they're not going to blow my house down type of thing, you know? Well, it's, it's good that you point out the idea that it's not just blue that is laser resistant. (laughs) It depends on the color that is coded into that laser, so to speak. Right. Right. But it is interesting that they were giving us all that signaling about blue because blue is traditionally the color that gets associated with the like the feminine in a way. Actually, it's so confusing. There's been so many flips. Right. You get boys with blue toys and girls with pink toys. But in the earlier days, it was vice versa. The boys had the reddish pink colors tied to them and the girls were given blue i think in terms of the i think in terms of the way the chakras map out that it makes more sense to consider the blue side the feminine and the red side you know and the two sides to be the masculine the more active material outer outer facing blue being the inner but blue (laughs) like back in the day of the civil war the modern day Republican party was blue, but that was the big government party. That was the federal party. And I know that like, you don't think of blue when you think of communism, but there is so much about this blue uh, that seems to (laughs) so much about the way blue is presented in, in culture that from the fact that in a like psychological sense, blue is used by companies to increased trust in what they're communicating to you. You know, blue has all the different qualities pertaining to water and thus healing and creativity and love and sensuousness and yada, yada, yada. But the overall thrust of society, or I guess not really a thrust, but you know, is the feminization of society. The, or maybe it's just about pure inversion because in a way women are being asked to be more masculine but the, uh, you know, when you consider the yin as a concept, it is the destroyer side. You know, the masculine is the the creative, active element. The feminine is the receptive, but also the destructive because it's also the regenerating element. So it has to let go so that it can receive more, which means things have to be, you know, done away with in a sense. So there's something about. You know, there's some there's a weave in here, if you will, about the blue programming in terms of these Hawaii fires and like, oh, it was the blue stuff that was spared. Paint your house blue, 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 blue. That mm-hmm. might be in a synchromistic way 
or, you know, if a bunch of people are encouraged to, to rep blue more, think about the blue and gold Ukraine colors that are, have been everywhere and still going on. True. It might be, um, you know, kind of a form of subtle, a subtle request for consent around the whole, you know, industrialized feminization of society that has been marching on for a long time. And when I say feminization, a better word might even be the collectivization Mm -hmm. because the, you know, it's a positive element of the feminine that they're the ones that are more tied into the community, to the group think, to others, feelings, things of that nature, all very important roles in the overall dynamics of humankind. But the collectivization thing is death. You know, that's like, there's like, you're literally joining the Borg. There's something about, you know, in the psychology of the crowd, like Gustav Le Bon writes about that the crowd, the collective actually becomes its own consciousness. Mm -hmm. The way that, you know, the swarm mentality, like uh, Dr. Shiva talks about the swarm. So there might be something up with the blue programming in the Hawaii stuff that pertains to all of the things I just listed. May not have laid it out very well, but that's what I've been thinking. No, I love it. And because that's what they said survived. That's what made it through. You know, and fire is usually associated with male energy, the rajas, the rajasic energy. So. Here you have, you know, I don't know what actually caused it, but my my pension to be kind of grandiose with with what where my mind takes things <laughs> is, you know, after seeing more detailed photos and like seeing the whole thing, I'm like, ah, no, what I originally thought probably wasn't what I th- think it was. But I could see with the programming, what you're saying is like, if you have this like male assertive fire energy, but what survives? Blue umbrellas, blue cars, blue roofs. You know, I could see that. That's like, that'd be a great subconscious way of saying, you know, the collective survives even with this, this ragged raging fire of male whatever. Yeah, because it's always the, you know, the media is always out to be like the lone individual, the lone gunman, the lone crazy person, you know, yeah. the solo that they're the bad guy, the individual bad, individual bad. The ba- one person by themselves did the bad thing. It's always like that, the scapegoat mentality. And they always did the bad thing to a group. It's a mass that they shot. <laughs> so, you know, that's part of the spell as well is that. The the ma- the masses, if you will, or the collective, is also always the victim, and the in- the solo or the individual is always the scapegoat, and that's how it was for you know the you know in the temple that the you know like long ago that you you have a victim that you sacrifice and that's for everybody, and then you send the scapegoat off to be alone, you know, walk off a right. cliff. That makes a lot of sense. So here's something that got shared quite a while back in the earlier in the conversation in the uh, Colin line that I thought we should check this out. So it's let's see. It's a one minute clip and we'll see what we think about it. Okay. 
Can you see that like static charge in the air? Wow. Is that what's her name from the Camelot Project? <laughs> I don't know. I'm that not a is. fan. Man, that I'm brought me back to like 15 years in the past. Is that really who that is? I thought she was a Brit. No. Oh, well, it's it's uh looks similar to her. I don't know if it is her, but it looks similar. I thought that the Project Camelot was a British chick. No, no, she was a woman from Hollywood. Oh, well, that li- explains it. She was living in Hollywood. She had a, a a British gentleman that was with her the first two years, and then she broke off and did her own thing. I I want to call her Sherry, but that's incorrect. Um. I think it's like Carrie Cassidy or something. Carrie Cassidy. I knew it. it, it there was an Aerie in there. You got it. <laughs> Carrie Cassidy. Yeah. What it, so what about, what was the, what was the inference of talking about static electricity? Well, when that got shared, we were, or you were just going on in, in major gravy land. I was just lost in the gravy about, you know, ether, orgone, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Because <laughs> so, I I did bring up the whole thing that static should be called dynamic. Like static, people say static electricity. Well, there's nothing fucking static about static electricity. It's <laughs> the most dynamic electricity that there is. Because it's always caused by movement. So why the fuck do they call it static electricity? It beats me. It's Ed, classic inversion. Get on it. Like I want the etymology. I want. I want. When did static first show up? No. <laughs> but the because all the highest, highest, highest. Oh, okay, okay. So it's from. It's like sharing the root with like stand. So if something is standing there, it's static in the sense that it's still. But static electricity is maybe called such because your hair stands up. It's stand. It's about the standing. Uh, but it's still a problematic description, as you say. <laughs> well, maybe they're inferring. Maybe they're inferring standing columnar wave. Maybe it's just an old phrase that's coming from a long time ago. But you know, it's, language is synchromistic like that. I love it. So okay, so. I've been bugging so hard because I'm I'm getting back into the Oregon accumulators and I it took me years to figure out how to shield um Oregon accumulators from EMF, right? Cuz we we found, you know, years ago that they well even like with the 2 and 3G cell phone uh networks that it completely befuddled our Oregon accumulators. Like if you had tons of orgone and light hydrogen being produced and the field was completely open, the second somebody would come in with a, with a cell phone and like back then 3G was only a receiver. 4G was when they became receiver emitters. And then 5G is emitters all the time along with receiving now and then, right? So even back with the 3G phones, the 3G phone, you would bring the 3G phone in in the space, and then you could literally look at the 
the orgone accumulator, the level of bubbles that you were creating would go way down. Like the milkiness, the, the micro size of the bubbles, all of it just would diminish. And it was just, it was like a one-to-one ratio. And God forbid you had one of these in a, in a car and you drove by a cell tower. It was like all of your benefit that you were getting from the thing is, was, would be nullified. So I was like, man, we got to shield these things. And that was like, just as I was, well, it was like a year later, biochar came into my life. And then I understood, oh, the diamagnetic charge of the biochar, actually, it reflects any EMF that comes at it. And I don't know if you got to that conversation. I actually sent Sophia the biochar. I don't know if you got to that part of our conversation. But, no, but I'm going to continue that one. I was really enjoying it. You know, I want to talk to Sophia. I've never talked to her. I'll introduce you. She's awesome. Just, just be advised. She is extremely particular person. Extremely particular. Like you have to like, <laughs> like she, like she's like that wonderful what what was it called? It wasn't like a schoolmaster. It was like back in the day, like when you'd have to go away to to like some like higher education place. And the headmistress. Headmistress, and they had that long stick, and they were like wacky. The second year out of like, <laughs> Sophia, Sophia is that to me, man. She she keeps me in line. Um, so. I had to figure out how how can I shield these devices? Biochar does it. It's it's a miracle. There's something about the matrix of six, and that gets back to the Lancet Arch, which is the beehive. You know, there's some really cool stuff with the geometry of six and what what that actually does in nature relative to the ratio of five. There's some really cool stuff with that. But the six is much more um, like if we're just talking about being receptive, five, like five is a much more receptive number. It's actually the, the, the geometry of five encodes the holographic, um, what is it called? Incommensurate geometry that pulls information in. Six is the exact opposite. Six is like the hexagonal geometry is literally like, boop, boop. It is the boundary. It's like, it's such a solid boundary in nature. In fact. Oh, and then you have Saturn with the uh, allegedly having the hexagon at the base of it. And Saturn's the boundary, the Lord of boundaries. Precisely. And you get into like what the hypercube is and it's the six cubes the six six-sided cubes stacked on each other. And it's and how- interesting that that was such a big symbol in the Aura Linda, the six-petaled or like the seed of life symbol, but like the six in the circle, right? Because, because it, is. it literally like if you but were their take- whole jam, like the, according to that, that book, the whole thing for the Frisians was about boundaries. Like we got our country over here. We're not letting you in to corrupt our youth with your fancy ideas. We're holding on to our stuff. We've got boundaries. Like that was the big thrust of their culture that kept them, you know, great or was how they were trying to stay great. That's wonderful. 
And, uh, you know, I sent you that little note because I was like, when you were describing the three different uh, thingamajiggers, I was like, talking about biochar, heat, and carbon, I was like, oh, well, there are three different types of heat. Yeah, the three mothers of the three tribes of humanity, it was Finda, uh, Finda who was the yellow one, and she was like the, the biatch, <laughs> she's yeah. the deceptive one. And then it was Lydia was the black one, and she was violent, but not necessarily evil. And then Freya or Freya was the white, you know, symbolically or maybe literally. <laughs> and uh, she was the benevolent, like rule giver, boundary setter, honorer of ancestors. So, but they were said to have emerged from three types of heat. It was extreme heat, um, high heat and moderate heat or something, but that could be lost in translation. And then you were like, there's actually three types of heat. And I was hoping we would talk about that. So I want you to it's, expand it's on that. Wonderful. So you have conductive heat, which conductive heat, there's a transference. So like I build rocket mass heaters and a rocket mass heater works on like you send heat through a bench. And when you sit on that, it's conducting heat into your tuchus, right? And so the air could be cold, but because the heat is conducting onto your body, you're actually warm. That's conductive heat. And then you have convec convective heat, which is heat of something that's moving over you. And it feels hotter than it actually is because of the movement. And so this is how all air fryers work. Like uh, the air fryers are the rage. Everybody has an air fryer. And so what occurs is you just have whatever you're cooking and there's a blower that is pushing the air over whatever it is. And then that air, because the, there's kinetic energy and the movement of the air, the heat feels hotter, even though the temperature is not hotter. So that's convective heat. And then you have radiant heat, which is where you're just absorbing from an external source outside of you, something that's radiative and is moving out. And you're within the vicinity of receiving that radiation. Uh, looking at. Oh, yeah, yeah. OK, this was <laughs> back to the other subject, but that uh, video of the dynamic electricity at the Grand yes. Canyon. Why I found that particularly interesting that that got shared was because one thing that you've talked about a lot is plasma charge petrification. And then there's all this idea out there that the Grand Canyon, where that clip we showed was shot, was created as some kind of giant plasma charge scarring rip, rip in the realm. So, rip. you know, if there is a rip or a rift there, based on plasma plasma charge, you know, would that spot be vulnerable to something like that in the future? Or, you know, is there a geo geological or geographical location based reason why that would have happened there? I'm just wondering, well, like, a, why is this person's hair standing on end? There's a shit ton of magnetite that's just to the west of the Grand Canyon. Um, the gentleman that brought to the world the term Ormus orbitally rearranged monoatomic elements. He, he had a, a farm, I think it was over a thousand acres, where he's like, what am I going to do with this place? There's all this black sand everywhere. And then he looked at the black sand and it looked a little bit closer to it. And the black sand was magnetite. 
Now, magnetite is, you know, we're told it's just iron oxide, but I've done these experiments and I was taught by high, high, high level alchemists to do these experiments. Magnetite has a very peculiar thing to it. It binds to every other metal that there is. And so you could take, I forget what the ratios were, but there's literally, if you had tons of magnetite, you had hundreds of pounds of silver. You had tens of pounds of gold and you had at least a few ounces of platinum because all those precious metals bind to it. Not even to say like iridium, like all the other higher metals, right? And so for the longest time ever, the true people that do mining, they don't actually mine the world. Like we're like, we have these like, you know, pictures of coal miners, you know, going down these veins of pyrolyzed carbon from these ancient trees. The way they've been mining the majority of the world for metals is they essentially go to like these areas that were once volcanic that have all this magnetite. They scoop up the magnetite and they just process it. So it's like precious metals we're told are precious because they're rare. They're not so rare. <laughs> it's just like diamonds. They're not so rare. And so um, maybe just the technique or knowledge of how to get them is more rare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like if a dipshit like me in Costa Rica was doing it with, you know, bases and acids and just doing chemical reductions from black sand from the beach and was getting good results, it's like, eh. But anyway. We have magnetite in our brains, too. Yeah. So magnetite in and of itself is an incredible material from an energetic perspective. I, I make these vases where... I essentially take like, you know, everybody's into like having um, their Yeti cups or their Tervis cups where there's like a hollow vacuum and to keep their, their drinks cold. Like this has a hollow vacuum in it. And what I've done in the past is I would fill that vacuum with magnetite. And if this was a clear on one side and I filled it with water, if I put it out in a new moon and came back the next new moon, the water would have all these crystals in it. And um, I talked to Isabel friend about that. Crystals like elaborate more like mineralization from the water coming out, like con condensing down into or collecting into crystallization. So the magnetite wizards taught me a long time ago that they like one of them, Dr. Maluski, he had worked for NASA. And what NASA figured out was essentially that the sun was just this massive distributor of information. Magnetite was one of the few materials that could transduce almost all of the information from the sun. So that's why we have it up here in our head. And so I was like, oh, well, water is the universal solvent. And he's like, exactly. And water has the geometry of the hologram of life. It has the incommensurate geometry of life. So he's like, yeah, with all my plants, you know, and he had this beautiful garden in New Jersey. He was like, yeah, I just give them magnetite water. And so I took it one step further and I was like, oh, well, I'll just make these vases and I'll have the vases out in my yard and I'll just have the sun hit the water, hit the magnetite and let whatever information, because at the time I was studying celestics and each moon was its own diva. And I was like, I'll let the this I'll let this Debbie talk to the water this way. I'll let the next Debbie talk to the water this way. 
And so I had all these vases everywhere of magnetite because magnetite was essentially free where I live. And I would give it to my plants and see what would occur. And I would drink it myself and see what I could embody with that. And there were like different crystals. You'd have sometimes, depending on the, the lunar diva and also other atmospheric things, you would have, let's just say, like a very aggressive, um, let's just say violent streak in you. <laughs> and that would be very representative of the, of the diva that was ruling that lunar node that month, right? And yeah, there it is. So look at the geometries in that, right? You put those, those little pyramids together and uh, I, I wonder if that would build a big pyramid, right? And those little pyramids hold, you know, uh, the more I learn about telluride and all these other metals, how they kind of bind to each other. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. The, the, cause you're a crystal guy. I know you love crystals. Like I'm the, surrounded by them at all times. <laughs> yeah. So I just got a nice package of, of awesome stones from Dominique who was a recent guest on the show. And we talked about medical astrology. She hooked me up with so many things. She just sent me a gift package. I got, I need to say thanks to her, you know, send her a message, but here's a great Labradite I got. And this is a new one that, uh, Eridite or Elder, Elderite, Elderite. That's what it's called. That's so pretty. And a sweet piece of petrified wood. Nice. It's almost like a rock. <laughs> it is like a rock. Well, I'm really interested in the. There's more actually. There's a sweet black tourmaline, and uh, this is fire agate, and some good old Arkansas quartz right from near wow. where we're at. So thank you for those nice gifts, Dominique. I can never have too many crystals. I'm a huge crystal guy. But what I'm thinking about right now is how, if you're able to. You know, if magnetite is what is, as you say, transducing the information that the sun is distributing, um, I'm into that. I do see the sun as a big information, you know, portal <laughs> distributor. Sure. You know, you can consider light to be that or energy to be that. And I say so because as we were talking about before, whether or not you have too much gunk to hold a charge in your battery of your biology of your energy bubble versus if you have a, a strong charge when you have charge you have information that you just innately know you embody yeah. it you hold it or you remember it like who you are why you're here deep philosophical realizations about the nature of life and how it works all of that will come in and increase as your energy level goes up and all the energy here is obviously coming from the sun so i get that now, if magnetite has the ability to, as you say, transduce the information, and then we've also got the possibility, or what I think is high, I think is the case that water, in some some respect, has the ability to generate other materials or things within itself. That yes. stuff, that stuff is born out of water, like literally. Yes. Then what you're doing with the magnetite and the water vases. Um, wouldn't have been surprised if you come back and you'd see like, 
you know, some little creature in there. Maybe this is the secret of the homunculus. We need to let Juan know. Yeah, yeah. And I played with the different shapes of the vessels, too. God love my ex-wife because, like, literally any extra money I had. You're just a I crazy was, person. <laughs> I, like, we had, I, geez, I had, I spent all my money on experimenting with magnets. I'd buy all these different, like, terrarium things. And I would, like, literally buy something that cost, like, $300. And I'd immediately cut it in half. So I could actually stick another one that's a smaller size of it directly in it and then backfill it with magnetite. And then I get all this like wax, like I, I needed to have a hundred percent beeswax. And I would like, I was just, I still am a little bit a nut. Like I was just like, okay, we're going to combine this with this, with this, with this, and with this, and with this. And it was just like, you know, some people have hobbies. That was like my hobby was just like consistently experimenting with water to see what could give what made water so special. And I think what Dr. Maluski was actually talking about was true because Ken Wheeler has brought it up now too. Theoria, Theoria Apophasis on YouTube is... um which is kind of funny. He told me I had to pay him if I wanted him on the podcast. <laughs> I've never had somebody say that before. Was, I thought that was kind of funny. What's his uh, rate? I don't know. He did. He, 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 it was all like uh very, very mechanical and dry. There was no, there was no, um, uh, there was no love there. But, um, so anyway, he was he was talking about the incommensurate geometry. So, do you know how a hologram works? That it is. Uh, well, let me. Rather than me just go into it, why don't you get at what you want to get at? Because I might have an answer that's not what you were wanting to go to. <laughs> Other than so, like the hologram is contains the you know inform every point of the hologram contains the full information of the total hologram. Right. 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 So you, you slice it, the holographic tape in half, but it's going to give you the same full image as the full tape would have, but half the size. Right. And so this comes from somehow, some way, this magic of an incommensurate geometry. And in an incommensurate geometry, there's only one that we know of, like that humans know of and speak about. And it's the, the actual geometry of the hydrogen to oxygen in a in in a molecule of water, right? So it's what is it? Thirty six, thirty six, one oh eight. That's the angle. And what's crazy is all the pyramids symbology that we see is that geometry that's just turned at an access point. And what makes so it so the Okay, so you're saying that water is a, the only molecule that the ratio cannot be, the ratio of the angles cannot be a whole number? Is that what we mean by incommensurate? So the geometry itself is one, like say, say my index fingers are one, my thumbs as one line would be pi. It would be phi, excuse me. So it's one to one to 1. 1.6. That's 
the the only incommensurate geometry that is known in the world. And so what occurs is if you could pick any point on on the on the phi ratio and then draw an axis to it, which would be like cutting it, and you'll get that ratio again. And you'll get that ratio ad infinitum forever. Whoa. So that fractality is baked in. It's baked in. That makes it holographic. Okay. That's okay. what makes it holographic. And that's why water to the Pythagoreans and to the people before the Pythagoreans. I don't even know if I believe those names, but let's just say the oldest wisdom on the planet. Uh, Pythagoras was in my professional opinion, basically a Buddha type character, right. so exactly. like, you know, a mythos that us, that a cult is around. Exactly. And I, I'm in agreement with you with that. So that intelligence, let's just say that wisdom is essentially saying, okay, we have a fluid that obviously for biological life, if that fluid isn't around, there isn't biological life. That fluid also seems to be around the most sacred areas that bring health. That fluid sustains us. That fluid is it's the waters of life type of thing, right? And so... What makes this, what gives this fluid such this, this power? And how is this fluid also the most destructive thing that we know of? <laughs> like it literally wipes civilizations away. Like great resets are like usually from water. Like, bye-bye. Water oxida- oxidizes everything it touches. It's a... Uh, <laughs> It it's the sustainer and then it's the the taker aware. It's the Shiva energy at the same time. So and also water, and I think our 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 predecessors knew that water was the key to plasma. And so you bring up this whole thing with the plasma in in the Grand Canyon. I think water is the physical manifestation or reflection of what the sun is as a mental or informational or energetic aspect like water and the sun i think they are the uh the mirror to each other the physical non-physical but it's the same energy or entity in the realm or purpose in the realm i could see that because you know in the hermetic texts they talk about when water erupts from the top of a mountain spring, it's virgin. And as a virgin, it should not be touched by the male, by the sun, by Helios. It needs to be under canopy until it gets close to the sea, to El Mare. And once it gets down to the lower realms, to the, to the base of the mountains, then it has sufficient um, mineralization. It has sufficient um, oxygen in it to actually to be able to receive the sun. Which the translations of the hermetic texts that I've looked at, they actually looked at the sun as being pure hydrogen. Funny that since it's what the uh, modern science, you know, the science trademark says about the sun, that it's a huge hydrogen reactor. 
The funny thing is that the the deeper you go into the ancient and the hermetic and the mystery school traditions, mm-hmm. the more you're like, oh, everything modern is old. Yes. <laughs> like they're literally just they're just giving you a, a type of deceptive spin on something like it's not even their own idea. It's so funny. Yeah. Like literally, it's literally the same cult. It's always yes. been the same cult. And it's uh, it's funny when you see it because it's everywhere. Nothing yes. new under the sun. Nothing new under the hydrogen. <laughs> but I, I get why they have that concept. You know, I don't necessarily think the sun has to be a material object, though. I don't either. But I see why they have that concept, because I really do. I really do recognize the the correspondence between water and the sun functionally in a so, mirror. So I can wrap this all together. So when you oscillate or cavitate water, you get something called sonoluminescence. There you so, go. And so you get this emission. Now it's not, we've already deduced that it's not photons that, that, when you go out and feel the glory of the sun, you're feeling the glory of unfettered information from the scalar realm. That's what you're feeling. The heat, the tingles, because this was something, this is what married me to Shawberger, was because I had these direct experiences in my life, was like, he's like, He's like, you can't look at temperature as just a form of heat or non-heat. Temperature is actually the rate of information transfer. So, and this is why, like, when I started looking at supercomputers and seeing how, like, supercomputers and these quantum computers, what fucking hogwash is that shit? All they are are massive refrigerators. Like the majority of all of their architecture is to get them to absolute zero. And then they have these very, very sensitive sensors that pick up what's in the deep, deep silence of the cold. <laughs> wow. That's what, that's what they are. Wow. That's like the monk who goes to the stillness and reaches yes. out, pulls out like some kind of transcendental truth. It's like Jordy Rose, when you listen to him, talk, you said it's the same old cult talking about it. And Jordy Rose is sitting there saying, it's like we're summoning the old ones. You know, that's literally what they're doing is that they they build their Kaba cube. You know, the, once again, we're at the six again. They build their super cube, their hyper cube. They, it's usually black. They chill. It's a big fucking refrigerator. They chill it, chill it, chill it, chill it. They get it as close to absolute zero as they can. And then they ping the little sensor with an optical, with a fiber optic input of whatever the zero, one, or the in-between. And then there is, what does the stillness say? What does the stillness say relative to this little signal, this little optical coupler that we're we're pinging the sensor with that's what these quantum computers are it's the biggest 
It's the most it's the most expensive scrying mirror you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go that far. You can actually just clear your mind and ask in within. You know, you have a no. conscience. No, but then you couldn't fool people out of their, you know, retirement. You gotta <laughs> sell it, buddy. You gotta sell it. Thanks for make, helping me understand quantum computing because now it makes sense. What you just described, I get that. You know, that yeah. I get how you could <laughs> I get how some some uh, entity, you know, non-physical entities could talk to you through that. Yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. Literally, the guy, like, at least with the one, um, what is it? Square, it's not Square D. What's the name of that? Jordy Rose, who used to be the CEO. D-Wave. D-Wave. Look at even that name. That's kind of funny. So you have the... You have him yeah, up John there. D, someone in the Enochian spirit. We're just talking to the old ones, like my man, John D, D-waving. So, John D, please tell us what's going on. We, we've chilled our little scrying mirror to the coldest that we can get it. Please come back to us. <laughs> I do think that the whole idea of the demon is the ancestor that is in a state of separation from the source fractal or you yeah. know the oneness i do think that yeah definitely and i, I think I, that some of them get pretty like powerful and complex and energized like maybe even our attention towards certain names of like uh an individual that is remembered in history could actually power up their demonic egregore so to speak or give them uh attention that gives them energy that allows them to have some kind of agency Cause just think about it. Like you name drop like uh, Abraham Lincoln. And now think of all the feelings that come about whenever you just say that name. And for certain people, it's like really charged. Like he freed us from slavery. And then other people in our community would be like, he sold us out to made us corporations. Right. <laughs> but it's like so powerful. Just the name. Right. Yeah. You're totally right. The egregore is a, is a real thing. The tulpas and the egregores that is like, I've been I've been around two very devout spiritual practices that refused to ever invoke names of people that they did not know directly. And I have to say that those in those two spiritual they're two totally they had two very different ideologies they did not believe the same but they both had that as one of their practices. And I had to say the people that I interacted with in both of those camps were so clean energetically, like clean, clean Mm. energetically. There's something to it. I, you know, ever since I had that lady, Carla Adams on the show, and she talked about biofield tuning for ancestors. Oh, that's so cool. It was so cool, but it's like, it seems way out there. And maybe even to this audience would seem a little out there. It's very squishy, but, uh, you know, I read the book. I had that conversation with her and the, her technique is her own, you know, it's not the way that it's happened for me precisely, but that being said, I, uh, I've been having experiences occasionally in tunings with clients where, I very clearly get the signal. There's an ancestor here. The last time it happened, I even knew where they were in the room. And it was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple, a, a good couple of them where it happened. I actually 
received information from this ancestor and was able to describe like this is what their this is what happened in their life that is pertaining to what's happening to you or your pattern that we need to work on. And I explained this and a good four of the times that it's happened, I think three or four of the times it's happened, the person I'm tuning with even knew who I was talking about. They're like, Oh, that's such and such person from, you know, and it was even the right side of the, the correct side of the family is what the information I received from this entity or this being was. So there's like, you know, there's no, there's no surprise that our indigenous peoples and spiritual practices have been about reverence of the ancestors. And then that all goes to hell in a handbasket when all of a sudden the universal Catholic church empire takes over and converts everything ancestral into some kind of infernal evil idea of a demon when demon just meant this deceased human spirit in the old sense, you know, that's who the real old ones would be like the oldest old one would be like the first man, like Adam, he's the top of, chief of the demons. There's a really good book called the origin of pagan idolatry by Faber, George Faber, that will help you understand where this, like this concept of like who the, the, the God and paganism is also the devil in the sense that it's like the, the underworld ruler and all mm-hmm. that. And now the earth is the ark and the ark is where the, the spirits are kept till they're revivified and like the next cycle or the next turn of the wheel. And I'm kind of getting off into the weeds with this, but suffice to say when I'm bringing up like the idea of ancestors showing up and talking, <laughs> talking in the biofield that, uh, you know, it can be, it can be as simple as telling them, helping, like offering them some light and sending them back into the oneness, or sometimes they're like more resistant. But why this ended up being so important is before I talked to Carla, I had a client where we recognized some ancestral trauma that had gone on for her. We recognized how it was affecting her, but I didn't have this idea of like actually communicating with that ancestor directly. Or trying to find them and see if they were in the field or in the room and sent, help them feel comfortable to go into the oneness, if you will, or rejoin source. And after this session with the, this person, they actually had like a, uh, they got worse in some ways from what we were working on. <laughs> and, this, but she still came back for another session. And whenever the second one rolled around, I had, the immediate sense of like, oh, we kind of aggravated that ancestor. <laughs> we didn't actually like help that ancestor. Yeah. We tried to just like sort of pole vault off of their experience and only help the client, but like disregarded that they weren't just a story. They're actually there. You know, they're actually aware. And so it, <laughs> I'm glad that we were able to rectify that. And she came back for another tuning and that all happened. But uh, it's all super interesting, kind of getting into. Kind well, of getting into the weeds. You'll be interested. You're not in the weeds at all. Because this is all, we're all talking. This is all, we're talking about the same thing. Almost. It's it's just a fractal of one thing is the same is the same is the same. Everything but, is everything. But it appears a little bit different. So I lived for 10 years in an area called Las Tumbas. And it was the tombs. And it was the base of the Diamante waterfall. And it was where... Is that in Costa? Yeah. In 
it was full. It was essentially full of tombs because that area was when the Mayans and the Toltecs before them would come through Costa Rica. They would do their sacrifices at the Diamante waterfall. And so there were... Diamante, the mountain of God. Yeah. Diamante in... So it's kind of funny because Diamante in Spanish means diamond. Diamante in Sanskrit means lightning. All good, I, all good representations of God. Right. Absolutely. So there are artifacts everywhere. And I remember my, my best friend, he was just getting into a shamanic practice. And I was like scratching my head. I'm like, why, why the F are we in this part of Costa Rica? This is really hard and all this stuff. And he's like, we have to bring, we have to bring the ancestors to the light. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And we were up about 22, 2300 feet on this ridge. And he pointed down the valley and he was like, there are so many souls here that are, that are waiting to go back to the light. And I didn't see it. I didn't have my own direct experience, but I trusted him. And his life literally for the last 15 years has been dedicated to like, we've built these temples and he like does a very specific daimi practice. And it's just like, it's just like soul after soul after soul of these ancestors being invited to go to the light, go back, go back home. Yeah. I would say most people that have died in the last many, many hundred years were not self-realized enough to feel safe to go to the light without being without the fear of being judged or destroyed right that's how pervasive the the whatever the whatever the virus you know fear is the virus that whole thing (laughs) you know whatever has whatever shard has gotten into the consciousness of the you know the the all (laughs) it's so strange no, I wonder all the time, like, what would existence be like if we could pull that splinter out? Right. The, the big we, you know, the, the, you know, if we could find where it must be, if anything, maybe it's been put up into the, like, whatever this, this mind virus is or program is that Watiko, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe it was inserted in, in the scalar level. More you know, than likely. And then that's why we can't find it here. We're looking, 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 turning over every rock. But it's not here. It's like gotta go go bigger, <laughs> go yeah. higher. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I guess any of us could potentially do that. And well, it would affect all of us. I really think like it's kind of cool. I mean, all all the people I know that have ever had a near death experience, like there isn't a one of us that's scared of death. Cause it was awesome. <laughs> it was like Yes. In fact, to this day, I weird out a bunch of my friends because they'll be like, oh, so-and-so died. And I'm like, awesome. And like the people that really know me, they understand where I'm coming from. And I'm not not being sympathetic to the people that are here. But from my perspective, my authentic perspective is like, awesome. Like, that is a good way to go. <laughs> if the good Lord is saying, Hey, it's your time to go. I'm not one to argue with it. That's like, Oh, right. You, you perfect. Enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's like a chorus, like there's a literal chorus of angels that are just right there for you. They're like, 
Yay! Like they're right there. They're just like, and they've always been loving you. And like, I always say like life is like the reverse of those, uh, those final destination movies, you know, the final destination movies is like death. You escaped death this one time. The Grim Reaper is going to come and get you. Ever see any of those final destination movies? <laughs> no, no, but I'm looking at this comment saying, so it's not a trap and it's not impending judgment zone. I just got here and hearing your perspective is very helpful. Literally never thought of that third, more reasonable option. I'm happy. I'm really happy to see that comment. I had a a tuning client last week or two weeks ago, too, who was like telling me about how she was in the perspective of, you know, the afterlife soul trap, you know, don't go into the light. The entire existence is a big loose farm. And we're like our divine, we're divine sparks enslaved by archonic overlords and you know that's the whole purpose of our existence is that we're perpetually circling the drain trapped in this energy harvesting battery of souls yada yada and for anybody that's out there listening right now that is currently thinking that and believing that I'll, first of all you're allowed to think that and believe that i'm not hating not judging but boy, you be I, hating, I encourage you to try on the perspective that that isn't true to try on the idea that this and everything about this experience is good and is for your growth and evolution. And the reason that it's eternal is because otherwise we wouldn't exist. <laughs> and, you know, non-existence doesn't exist. So we have to exist. So we got to do something with our existence. And we have a lot more agency over that than we maybe think. And while I don't, I'm not telling you I have the answers, but like your health will improve, your relationships will improve, your synchronicity with life will all improve for the better when you step out of that perspective that is ultimately like the most victimized you could possibly be. Yeah. It's the ultimate level of victim consciousness. You don't have to step out of it. You can just try it, but just try, try it on. Even just for a couple of days, try it on. Like, what if that's not true? Because once you get that idea in your head, it can really stick, you know, (laughs) it can be so convincing and it can be just as convincing as the alternative, which is that everything's going to be okay and everything's fine. (laughs) But I just want someone out there needs to hear that right now. And, you know, you never know when that person might be listening. And it's so pervasive in conspiracy culture to, you know, talk about the soul trap and the archons and the, don't go into the light and yada, yada. But that's, if not, if for no other reason to step out of that perspective, just know that it isn't healthy, that the mirror that your reality will show you will be more victimization, more exploitation, more fear, more paranoia. It's just the nature of, of belief. You know, you ref, that belief reflects onto the external world and bounces back to you with more reasons to believe it, <laughs> you know, more reasons yeah. to feel that way. That's how it goes. A uh, years ago, I w- like got really like specific with how I was praying and I wanted to, I wanted to be so intentional with my prayer to God. And it ended up just being like this chorus of gratitude where I was just like, God, I know whenever I'm aware of you, I can rest. Like I can, I can, I can fall into rest. 
whenever I'm not aware of you, I'm not at rest. You know, there was just like this, there's the, and that is, that's the truth of my experience is like, if whenever (laughs) I can just let it go, like just let go, there's trust. And that trust can only be with one, one. And so that standing columnar wave then opens and then there's rest. And I think that's like the access to like the scalar domain, the magnitude domain. (laughs) I mean, I'm just making shit up when I say that at this moment, but like the actual experience of rest, like my old guru used to say this, he's like, you know, every night there's a point where all of us, no matter how go, go, go we are, we all just say, fuck it. And you drop. And we all do it all the time. Well, why is sleep restful? Is it actually restful because your glymphatic system is being drained and you're horizontal and blah, 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 blah? No, it's literally you have eight hours where you're not in control. You're not the control. You, you're not. I think that's what's healing about the psychedelic experience, too, is like I used to always, <laughs> there would always be a point when I was on psilocybin or something where i'd have to i'd have to give it up you know i'd have to and i would my my mantra for that to help me get through that threshold would be like chance is not in charge (laughs) i would just say that i'd like look to my friends i'd be like chance is not in charge (laughs) and they would know what that meant they would know that like i'm fully in the surrender flow state going with it Mm -hmm. but that's i think that's very healing as well yeah definitely so there's this thing with the rest and there's this, this thing like, like even if you're under the mind virus that, oh, the light is a trick and you're being loosed, you can even just deduce that and be like, well, it must be God's will. If it, if, if it's happening, it's God's will. Like try as you might, if, if God wants it to happen, it's, it's going to happen no matter what. So like, you know, <laughs> yeah, when, you, like, when you believe in things you don't understand, you suffer. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just like, it's just, <laughs> dude, let, let's wrap it up, my friend. I know, man, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I was just waiting for the natural point. You nailed it. I'm super excited to see you at the Bear Taria National Festival. Bring the metal detector. <laughs> okay. Will you like remind me, though? Text me yes. that. Okay, I guess I got to dig it out of the closet or go get one for my dad. But yeah, we need to get you hooked up with a treasure finding tool and I'm going to have to get some biochar from you. One last question. Can you paint your walls with biochar, like mix it into the paint? Definitely. And that would give you some protection. Cool, I figured. All right. Well, this has been a legendary chat, man. I mean, it's up there with it's up there with the best Topher flow states ever. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure, Um, my friend. Oh, My Kabir favorite. wants to know, do you know when you're giving your talk I don't uh, at, know. The, at the festival? Okay. So just be there. <laughs> it, it's Saturday afternoon. Well, okay. wait. Oh, Sunday. Sunday, I think at 3.30 or 4, I'm giving the talk on 6. And then um, sometime on Saturday, I'm giving the presentation of the, the uh, biochar kiln. Gabe says Topher is renowned for ninja smoke bomb exiting methods. Yes, this is true. I have the Irish. I have the Irish goodbye down to like. (laughs) 
It's like, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, uh, goodbye. <laughs> Good night. Thanks for tuning in. It's a really fun stream. Catch you on the next one. All right, y'all.